What we're doing this weekend is, is, is kind of uh, indicative of what we're doing as a church, which is taking a little less emphasis off of like a guy up front speaking and really building more into relationships and getting to know each other and having us kind of share with each other and, and all of us uh, kind of sharing what we're learning about God together with one another. And um, I just encourage you to get to know the guys in your boat and, and other guys around and learn from their relationships with God. I, I love these times where we get together in groups because people realize, you know, we're not that different. And it was cool today just looking around and, and seeing some of you and thinking back to the day. I mean, some of you guys that are here still checking things out. Um, it's just funny because I, I remember seeing some of you that are now leaders of these small groups and how you came several years ago and you were skeptical. Some of, some of you thought that this was a cult, you know, and you would talk about stuff like that. And then suddenly now you're leading small groups in our cult. And, uh, <laughs> it, you know... I'm just looking around and going, man, you know, some of you, you know, that are checking out, you you know, some of you guys, you'll realize, man, they're, they're ex-drug addicts. Some of you guys, I remember you coming out of prison, you know, um, some of you guys were gangbangers. They're actually all on my boat. Um, <laughs> the SSSA. Uh, I'm proud of those guys, though. This year, we allowed four white guys on our boat. Um, yeah, it's four. That's good. That's really good. That was gracious of you guys. Um. But, you know, and you just realize, man, some of these guys really aren't that different in their background, but they came to know God and uh, have just absolutely fallen in love with him. But one of, one of the guys on our boat, he was telling us a story. One of our guys, uh, Eric Mutz, he, uh, <laughs> he was sharing about how this one time he was eating a piece of steak and uh, he didn't like to chew. And, uh, and so he just swallowed this big old piece of steak and it got lodged in his throat. But, and just stuck there. And like he'd try to drink water, but it wouldn't get past that piece of steak and he'd just keep spitting it back up. And he could barely breathe, barely talk, but he left it in there, okay? Because he could still breathe. And uh, you know, and it's bugging him, bugging him, bugging him. He left it there for a whole day. He ended up leaving it there for 40 hours. And then he finally decided to go to the hospital because it was getting too bad. And he kept just spitting up all of his food and, and water. Nothing was going down. He finally goes to the emergency room. And, uh, you know, and the lady, he's like, hey, I got this meat stuck in my throat. You know, and the lady's like, okay, go have a seat. He goes, no, you don't understand. And then he just collapses right there and passes out. Next thing he remembers is he's hooked up to these IVs. And uh, the doctor has to stick this thing down his throat with a camera and little scissors and chop up the piece of meat and shove it down to his stomach. And, and I'm like, man, that's so crazy. But it's happened to him like five times. <laughs> and it's like, man, why, why won't you learn? Like, chew up his meat. And so, so this weekend he brought his dad to cut up his meat for him. And, um, but, but, you know, I was thinking about that, that story of, of, man, it was like, it's like, man, why don't you just chew? Why don't you just do this? Why do you keep making the same mistake? But, uh, hey, it's just the way some people are. And, um, but but I, I thought about that and how he just waited and waited and waited until he finally just collapsed and fell apart. And I thought, man, that's, so, that's such a great picture of, me, of, of what some of us do. It's like some of you are here and you're holding on to something that's killing you. 
You know, and, and some of you that are Christians, it's like you got the sin you're holding on to. You're not changing. It's just stuck there. And it, it's almost like sometimes we have to wait till our lives like you hit rock bottom and you just collapse before you do something about it. And I'm going, man, why don't you do something sooner? Some of you, because, you know, just just like Eric, it was like, man, you could have died. Why do you leave a chunk of meat in for over a day? And it's like, wow, you could have died just leaving that thing in there. And, and, and he was lucky that he collapsed in the right place and everything else. And, and I thought, wow, you know, some of you, you, you've gotten lucky a few times. You know, I don't want to call it luck. I want to call it the kindness of God that he's kept you to this point. And I'm just saying, man, you're here tonight and don't, don't waste the opportunity. Some of you know there's things in your life that are just leading you toward death. Man, they're just, they're going to destroy you. They're going to ruin your lives. And I'm just going, man, why don't you consider change? And um, gosh, you know, I, I was also going to, I was also going to pray for, you, you know, in your groups later, if you would remember to pray for a couple of guys, um, one is Steve Hall. He's on our, he'll be on the next week's trip. But uh, a lot of you guys know his uh, nine-year-old boy died just about three weeks ago three, four weeks ago, just perfectly healthy kid, you know, just uh, riding his bike, fell over, hit his head, and was in a children's hospital in a coma for about a week or so, I think 10 days, and uh, we just did a funeral a couple weeks ago. Um, keep him in your prayers. I, I don't know. My heart just goes out to a guy like that. And then uh, the other guy is a guy named Gerald. I don't know if how many of you guys know Gerald. He runs the PowerPoint on Sunday mornings, the slide thing. Um, happiest guy in the world man and sunday morning just typical gerald bouncing off the walls so thrilled so excited and uh this last sunday night uh he put his baby down his two-month-old baby and uh went back and checked on him like 10 minutes later and kid had vomited and uh wasn't breathing and so he was like doing cpr on his son calling 911 and everything else ambulance got there and they worked on him for like an hour, but uh, his kid died Sunday night. And um, so I was with him most of the day on Monday and again with him on Wednesday. And uh, ah, it's just so sad. I mean, he's just, it's just, you can imagine. It's just crazy. Those of you who have kids, I, I think you can, uh, I don't really need to say a whole lot more. Just pray for Steve and pray for Gerald. Um, we need to remember guys like that. Uh, because I, I just can't imagine going through something like that. It's got to be absolutely crazy for them. Um, it, it's amazing how life just kind of changes, you know? It, it's just, I, I think of different guys that were on this trip last year and how everything turned around this year, some for the better, some for the worse, but it's it's just crazy. You think every, every year is going to be the same or something, and, and like we have control, but it, it just blows me away how... Your whole life can change in a matter of seconds. And I guess that's part of why, uh, why I got away this summer. A lot of you guys know I kind of took a break from the church over the summer, and uh, I just came back last week. Um, some of it is just because I know life is short, and I want to make sure I'm doing things right. But uh, to be honest... Some of it was I, I wanted to make sure that I was still for real. Because um, the gift God gave me is the ability to communicate, to talk. And 
And when you have that gift, you can lie also. That's why if any of you play poker against me, you always lose. It's just that ability to just say whatever, you know, just like, you'll, you know, you can lie. If you can communicate well, you can lie. And, and I, can, I can fake Christianity as well as anyone. I can fake humility. I can fake having a relationship with God. And uh, knowing that and knowing that I have this ability to do that, it's like I wanted to just get away and just come before God with no one watching and just try to figure out, God, am I for real? Am I still right before you? Do I still fear you and love you even when no one else is around? Man, is this thing for real or, or am I just faking it? And, and this is so, uh, it's so important to me because I know I got to stand before God one day and, and, I, and I can't fool him. And, and I think about how hard it is for us to be serious about loving God. And a lot of it is just because of the environment that we're in in Southern California You know, Jesus said it's so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, man, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, because when you have all this stuff, you know, it's hard to just say, you know what, I, I let go of it. I surrender it to you. It's so easy to fall in love with all of this stuff. And just kind of add a little bit of God to your life. And, and, and I just want to get away and go, God, man, am I, still, am I still able to surrender everything I have and my whole lifestyle and being so comfortable here in Southern California? Am I still willing to do anything you ask me to do? Because sometimes I, I, I read the Bible, like I've shared before, like I read the Bible and then I'll look at the church and I'll look at myself and go, man. I don't match up to that. Like, I, I don't know how serious I am about this God, and I've got to be right. But one of the passages that scares me the most, I want to share it to you tonight, is, uh, is in Revelation chapter 3. He, Jesus writes a letter to this church in, in this city called Laodicea. And some people, when they read this letter of what Jesus wrote to Laodicea, they go, wow, that almost seems like a prophecy of the American church. Because when you read it, you go, gosh, it sounds like the American church. And it's a scary thing because what he says to this church in Laodicea isn't real flattering. It's not It's pretty scary. He says to this church, um, he says, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. He says in verse 15, he goes, I know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Okay, God says about this church, he goes, you guys aren't like anti-God, this cold, oh, we hate them, everything else. He goes, at the same time, you're not like on fire, like, yeah, I'll do anything for you. You're just kind of this lukewarm yeah, you know, I kind of believe in God. I kind of like my stuff. I kind of want a little bit of God with me too. And he goes, man, I wish you're one or the other, but you're like that lukewarm taste that, you know, you're not like this hot cup of coffee. You're not like an ice mocha. You're just like this, you know, room temperature coffee that you take a sip and I just want to spit you out of my mouth. He says this church, but here's a description that, that really hits me. Is it a, it says in verse 17, He says, you say, I am rich. 
I've acquired wealth and I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. He says about this church, they had so much security because of their wealth. Kind of like us in America. He says you got so much security that you just feel like, well, I don't really need anything more. And it's a crazy thing. We we're talking about on our boat today how, you know, some people like depend on God for food. You know, like, like, like billions of people, you know, are living day to day trying to find their food and everything else. And they're like depending on God. But us, you know, we... A lot of us just feel like, I don't really need God. What do I need God for? Got my house, got my job, I got retirement set up, I feel pretty healthy right now, on and on and on. And, uh, and, and that's what these people are doing. It's like, well, I don't really have a need for him. And they felt like they were okay. And God was saying, I'm concerned about you because you don't realize just how bad off you have it. He goes, because the reality is you're really poor. You're actually extremely poor in a spiritual sense. You may have a lot of stuff materially right now, but he goes, but I worry about you because you're so poor and you can't see it. You're so wretched. You're so screwed up, but you cannot see it. And he goes, I'm counseling you to come and, and find some real wealth in me. But this church it, or that city and that church there was just kind of this casual yeah you know god's great and everything else but so is my stuff and there wasn't a a fire it got him kind of lukewarm and then it says uh in verse 19 those whom i love i rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent here i am i stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i'll come in and eat with him and he with me to him who overcomes i will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. See, see, when I when I read that passage, I go, gosh, that just that feels a lot like me a lot of the times. Like, I I think I love God, and and yet I love all this other stuff too. And sometimes God just kind of gets worked into the mix with everything else. And I read that passage, I go, God, I I got to have more than that. I want to be the real deal. I want to, I don't want to be lukewarm. I mean, when you think about yourself right now, would you just describe yourself as just this radical, on fire, hot Christian, like just burning up, fired up for him and everything else? Or would you describe yourself as this anti-God, I can't stand God, you know, I'm anti-everything that's going on here? Or would you see yourself in the middle there somewhere as well? You know, I'm better than those guys. You know, I have some love for God, you know, and I'm struggling through. You know, I mean, where, where are you on that scale? And I think sometimes everyone's, you know, can be so lukewarm or we'll look at those who are really cold and feel good about ourselves because at least we're not anti-God or anything. I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty, you know, uh, okay with Jesus and everything else. And, and I just I just worry about that. And... I, I got to be right before him. Um, before, you know, I teach anyone else or anything else, I just want to make sure I am really in love with him more than anything else. I don't want to end my life as a lukewarm guy before God and be spit out of his mouth. And and what hits me is uh, that last 
verse because in verse 21 he says to him who overcomes he says to this church he goes look this church in Laodicea, it's like everyone is just the vast majority is just kind of lukewarm, just doing a little bit of the God thing, but also trusting in their riches, their retirement, their stuff. He goes, but he goes, and I'm just going to spit them out of my mouth. He goes, but there are going to be those who overcome. There are going to be those few individuals that go against the flow of everything. And the Bible always talks about this, how there's this wide road and all people are going down this one road, just following the flow, you know, fitting in, doing what everyone does. But there's few people who here it's just, they're described as people who overcome, who don't just do what everyone else does. They overcome. And what he says about those people is this, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. He says, if you can overcome that kind of lukewarm, I can't stand this, you know, casual Christianity stuff, and overcome that and really fall in love with me, he goes, man, I'll let you sit on the throne with me. He goes, man, I'm knocking on the door, man. If you you would just come in and and, and really be the real deal and just fall in love with me and, and be, be passionately in love with me, he goes, you can sit on my throne. And then what he does is in chapter 4, he describes the throne. Right after he says that, he goes, he goes, and here's what the throne is like. And you guys, this is why I am serious about God. Is because how he's described here in chapter 4. You see, we say as a church that as a church we have a mission statement or a purpose statement. And that purpose statement is this. It's to give everyone in our community, every individual in our community, an accurate picture of God. I'm just going to talk about that first part tonight. To give everyone in our community an accurate picture of God. And the reason why this is so important to me is because I think most people are casual about God because they don't have an accurate picture of Him. I know that was true in my life. Like I used to just kind of casually pray like, yeah, God, thanks for the food, blah, blah, blah. Thanks for the nice day. Uh, yeah, I would just say whatever. Why? Because I had such a casual picture of God, a small picture of God. I didn't have an accurate picture of Him. Once I realized what He was like, that's when I got serious about it. That's when I got serious about God. And I'll hear people that'll say to me, they'll go, you know what? I'm just not into the God thing right now. That's great for you that you found God. You're doing that. I'm just not into the God thing. That's, that's a popular phrase, the God thing. Like it's this little casual hobby. And people will say, yeah, I remember when I was a kid, I went to Catholic school. I did the whole God thing. And, uh, you know, it just wasn't for me. I didn't find anything in it. And my conviction is, you know what? If people can be so casual about God, I really think it's because you don't have an accurate picture of Him. And in chapter 4, God describes Himself. God allows John to see Him, and, and, uh, and John describes what he sees when he saw God. And so I'd love for you to just erase any pictures you might have in your mind about God. And what he's like. And consider listening to what John says who actually got to see him on his throne. 
And remember, chapter 3 says, if you overcome and you love God passionately, you'll be able to sit on this throne. And then in chapter 4, he describes it. See, John says, after this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing in heaven, and the voice I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. Okay, so John sees like a, I mean, imagine tonight, if as you're laying on your houseboat, those of you guys who uh, sleep up top, imagine you're laying on your houseboat, and then in the middle of the night, you know, you wake up, you look up in the stars. What if you saw an angel tonight? And he said, hey, I'm going to take you up here to show you what it looks like up here. Okay, just imagine. Would that just freak you out? I mean, think about it. You're just laying there, you know, everyone's snoring. So you wake up and you, you see this angel up there going, I'm going to take you up here right now. Just you. I want to show you what heaven looks like. Okay, I mean that I I can't about I can't imagine anything much more terrifying than that. But this takes place, and John's actually able to go into heaven, not physically, because it says uh, it, in verse two, it says at once I was in the spirit, and I, I believe that's significant because uh, the Bible says that as human beings, that if we were to look upon God, we would die, like our flesh can't take it. Um, but one day our bodies are going to be changed and then we can see God face to face. But he's so different from us that we can't even look upon him. There's a being up there that we can't look at because he's set apart. He's holy. Even though we're made in his image, there's a sense in which he's still so far beyond us and so great. The Bible says that it's a, it describes it as an unapproachable light. But John's taken up there in verse 2 in his spirit. Somehow he's taken up and, and he describes what he saw. He says in, in verse uh, 2, he says, And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. So, so he says he's taken up there, and the first thing he sees, I, I mean, if you picture God sitting on a throne, that, that's pretty biblical. You've got that in, in Revelation chapter 4. He says, I see this being sitting on a throne. So he's taken up into heaven. The first thing he sees is this awesome being sitting on the throne, but he says he's not like a person. It's not like he's got skin like you and I. He says he, he has the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. Jasper was like a ruby, carnelian's like a crystal. So he's saying you got this being that's like these glowing rubies and diamonds, crystal-like being, and he says there's like this uh, this this rainbow around him that that resembles an emerald. And then it says surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. So he says around the throne of God were these, these 24 elders with, with crowns of gold on their head. And those 24 elders represent the believers of all time. Okay, and, and we don't have time to get into that. Just, just, just trust me, I'm really smart. Um, I'm kidding, but uh, someone told me that. They didn't tell me I'm smart. They told me about the elders. Um, but it's... Uh, it's, it's just, 
this idea later on in chapter 5, you see these, these beings all just drop their crowns before God. But then it describes the throne a little further and says, From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. So he says from the throne itself, okay? So you're taken up into heaven, okay? You still with me? You know, you're in the middle of the night. You're taken up into heaven. This is what you see. This throne, this being that's glowing with diamonds, you know, and rubies, you know, he's got this rainbow around him. He's got these 24 elders all bowing down with crowns of gold on their heads. Then he says from the throne, you see lightning actually coming from the throne. There's thunder coming from this throne. He says there's these seven pillars of fire that are blazing before this throne. You see, when I think about that, and just, just even that beginning part, I just go, man, what would it feel like? What's it going to feel like when I die? Like just a couple of weeks ago, you know, little Logan, nine, nine years old, came before that God. See, when I had an accurate picture of God, I thought, man, that being... That's what God is like. See, I wasn't taught that in Sunday school. It wasn't until I started reading this book for myself. I go, man, that's, that's pretty terrifying. And that's why this couldn't be just the, the God thing to me. It's like, what else is going to matter? I mean, other than the fact that, man, any, any second now, any second, any one of us is going to stand before him. You see, and when you get an accurate picture of him and you go, wow, that's huge, then suddenly it's like, wow, I, I, what is more important than being right before that God? Rather than this casual, lukewarm, oh yeah, yeah, I'll add you to my life. See, because it goes on, you know, it's got this whole sea of glass around him. And then it says, in the center around the throne were these four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was, was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Okay, and I know that's kind of just gross or freaky to you, but it just says, and it is to me too. I mean, it says these beings around the throne... And John's just trying to use human words to describe what he saw. And he's just like, he goes, it's weird. It's like these beings had eyes all over their bodies. They, they each had six wings. And their wings were covered with eyes in front and in back. You got this one that had the head like a lion. You had one that had the head like an ox. One that had a head like an eagle. One that had a head like a man. And they're all just flying around the throne of God. Okay, that, that's just, that's scary to me. I mean, I mean, what if, what if we could, you know, turn the lights on and, and, and suddenly one of those creatures came down and, and just hovered right here above me right now. I mean, picture that. Picture the one that, that had a face like a lion and, and six wings and eyes all over his wings and all over his body. I mean, honestly, I mean, as tough as we are, I mean, right, you know, men's retreat, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, imagine if that showed up. We'd all be screaming like girls, right? I mean, think about that. I mean, if we saw that, I don't care how tough you think you are. It's like, 
man, we would just be so terrified. And and what the point I want to make is, do you know what those beings do all day? It says in the next verse, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. These beings that would terrify us, you know what they do all day? They look at the throne of God and they're screaming, holy, holy, holy. They're going, man, I, I'm nothing. I am nothing. You guys think I'm scary. I'm terrifying. All day long, they're screaming out. The word holy means set apart. They're saying, you know, no, no. He's the one that's holy. He's the one that's set apart. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They're just screaming out how great this God is on his throne. These beings who would terrify us, they're screaming out about God. And I think, man, then who am I, this little being on the planet Earth, to look at all of that and then just casually pray to him, casually sing to him, casually talk about him? Man, you know, in the Old Testament, they wouldn't even say the word God. They, they would never think to talk about him by, by just casually saying God. In fact, they would call him Hashem, which means the name. You know, nowadays we'll say, oh, Yahweh or Jehovah, whatever you want to call, you know. And the, back then they're just like, gosh, his name is so sacred that we don't even want to say it. We'll just call him the name. We're not going to say his name. We'll just say the name. You know who I'm talking about. But but I don't feel like my lips are even worthy of saying his name. So I'll just call him the name. Him. That being. Whereas nowadays we're like, yeah, you know, God, this, God, that. I don't do the God thing. And it's like, man, do you understand who you're talking about? And, and I just really believe, you know, my whole mission, you know, in Simi Valley was like, Gosh, when I clearly understood what God was like, that's when I got serious about him. And I think a lot of people are casual about him because you've got this inaccurate picture of him. You've got this casual picture of him like he's just some little old man sitting in a chair or something like that. He's just like you and you're going to go up. And, and I'm like, man, do you understand how the Bible describes him? We can't be casual about this. You guys, today when I was just looking around and just watching you guys, and man, I've known some of you guys for years, and I was just struggling because I'm like, man, I've been doing this for, gosh, this is like my 13th houseboat trip, you know? And some of you have been on the boats with you ever since our first one when we had like one boat, you know? And now we got two trips and 10 boats on each trip, and and I've seen some of you through the years, like, you really are fired up about God. And I've seen some of you that didn't know God at all just a few years ago, and now you are just absolutely on fire. But then I see some of you that have just kind of, I don't know, you're just kind of there. And 
I, I'm not not to judge anyone. I I just get concerned, you know, like like are you lukewarm? Are you are you for real? Is the fruit really in your life? And, and gosh, I don't want to get like dramatic or anything, but it, today is like I, I was almost to the point of tears, you know, with some people just going, man. you understand we're we're going to die any second and we're going to face that god and it's not about works that save you you know we're saved because his son died for us but the bible says that those who really believe that you're going to show it with your life i mean when you really understand that that being sitting on that throne had his son die and pay the penalty for your crimes it's like that ought to fire you up. That ought to motivate you and go, man, what else matters in this life other than him and what he's done for me? What else should I treasure other than this God? But it's hard for us because, you know, we do. We've got so much. I mean, how many people in the world, in the world, get to do what we're doing right now? Hang out on houseboats? Go out and wakeboard? You know what? I mean, we're, we're some of the richest people who have ever existed on this planet. And the Bible says it's going to be hardest for us to enter the kingdom of heaven because we're going to find so much security in our stuff that we're not going to feel like we really need this God. And we're going to be most distracted. And God says there's really only two gods, you know, that you serve. It's either God or money. You know, and, 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 and that's, a, that's just a scary thing. And I, and there are times, man, when I get so wrapped up in stuff and I enjoy my stuff and my life and everything else and I forget all about God and he just kind of sits in the back there somewhere. And I don't want to, I don't want to be one of those guys that at the end of my life, he, he goes, man, you weren't hot, Francis. I mean, you, you could speak, you could talk to a bunch of people, you could pretend you're on fire but you really weren't i don't want to be that i want to be the real deal and I, I i want to be one of those he says that overcomes i mean that's intense he goes if you overcome then you can sit on that throne with me and there's a i mean that's intense so i'm gonna be with god on that throne where there's the lightning the thunder i mean just ruling where you just go man What's there to fear? I am right here on the throne with God, and I've got these beings with eyes all over themselves worshiping right there. But I'm going to be right there with the Father on His throne, leading, you know, and ruling forever. I mean, all this stuff, I just think some of you, we're going to be up there with Him, and we're going to be looking at each other eye to eye like a hundred years from now. 300 years from now. Isn't that crazy? That some of you guys, we're going to be together like a thousand years from now still. Just talking about how great this God is. But it's those of us who overcome. It's, it's not those of us who are lukewarm. And I, 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 I do get scared for us, man, because I, I feel like the Bible's talking to us and saying it's going to be tough for you, though. A lot of guys, you know, they've, um, like, like my friend, uh, some of you guys know Kevin Malone. Uh, he used to be a general manager of the Dodgers. And uh, 
He owns a Mercedes dealership up in Valencia now. And I took him to Africa with me last year. And then he went back this summer, took his family to Africa. And, and then he just sent his family home because he, he wanted to go to like the most dangerous places in Africa and just wanted to see even more poverty than what we saw when we were there. And he goes, man, I might get killed, so I just want to send my family home. And, and uh, he just didn't care. He just, and he came home, I remember, right before a golf tournament for the college. And I saw him there, and he came, and we were talking. I'm like, man, how was Africa? And he just looks at me. He goes, man, I just got to get out of Southern California. Man, I, I just get stuck in this fog, this Disneyland fake world down here. I'm just, I'm just done with it. He goes, I'm moving. I'm going to Africa, man. God's doing huge things. They don't have anything, but God's real there to me. And, and it's so good and everything else. And, and, uh, I'm like, well, let's talk about it. You know, let's get together. I go, because I, I it seems like the people who get fired up, you know, and get hot for the Lord. They just want to leave America because it's so hard to live here and be fired up about him. And I said, Kevin, but what if, what if you could live here in America, you know, with that mentality, you know, be one of those that, that doesn't care about stuff. I mean, sell all your stuff, downsize into nothing and keep making a fortune, but keep giving it to the poor. I mean, if you could do that here in Southern California, man, that's what we need. And, and, and I'm just, I'm praying that there'd be just a few guys that would just step up and go, you know what? I don't care about all this stuff. Man, I'm just crazy about this God. And I just want to serve him with my life. And yet I, I you know, it's funny because we got together a couple of weeks later and he looked at me and he goes, Francis, I am totally sucked back in. He goes, I got sucked right back into my old Southern California lifestyle again. He goes, I need help. I hate this. Man, I was so on fire just a few weeks ago, coming home, you know, but now that I get down here, I just get sucked right back into my old lifestyle. And I go, man, I know, I feel it, man. It's like this pressure and it's all this stuff and everything else. You just get sucked into conforming to the way everyone else lives. And we can't do that, man. We've got to overcome. We've got to be one of those people that overcomes all this stuff and it's just passionately in love with God. And so as we go to our groups now, man, that's what we're going to talk about is just this view of God that we have. I mean, is it an accurate picture of God so much so that we understand, okay, if there's a being like that up there, my whole life should look different. I should care about nothing else. I mean, what, what is a house compared to knowing that being and ruling with him on that throne forever and ever versus a house for a few years? or decent retirement, or whatever. I mean, that stuff should be like nothing to us or reputation or pride or, or, or power. It's like that should be nothing. If I really believe this thing, if I really believe that God exists, my life should look a lot different. And those are some of the questions we want to talk about it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, well, then do I really believe in that God? Do I really believe that he exists based upon my actions? Or do people only know that I believe in that God by what I say? Or is it by the way I live? And so, uh, man, as, as you guys get in your groups, I, I pray that you just be honest with one another. Just lay it out. Um, your concerns about your own life. Have the guys pray for you. Um, 
and uh, you guys are dismissed. Head back to your boats, and uh, we're going to have a little discussion on what I talked about.